You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. And you want to be submitted to Christ. You're not perfect. You stumble, just like I do. But when we stumble, we're convicted. For someone who doesn't have Christ, there's no conviction. That's these people Jude's talking about. They can sit in a church service. They're not moved. Are you saved? Do you have that witness of the Holy Spirit? If not, I beg of you, settle the issue today, right now. Settle it. Submission to Christ doesn't happen to you. It's a choice that you need to make. It's laying down your own agenda, your hopes, your dreams, and your plans, and letting the Holy Spirit guide you instead. It's the next level of relationship with the Lord, and you can experience it. No, it won't be easy, but it's what you're called to as a believer, and you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you always. Pastor Danny urges you today to stop waiting. Submit your life to the Lord right now. Don't wait another minute. Now, here's Pastor Danny in the book of Jude, chapter 1, with today's edition of The Living Word. And then verse 6, Jude, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Fascinating that some of the angels that followed Lucifer are not free to roam throughout the earth looking for someone to inhabit or deceive or entice. There's some that God said, hey, you're not going to get no free reign right now. You're going to somewhere down below. And they're bound with chains waiting for the day of judgment. That's a real deal. I mean, really, they're really chained right now there. They're rebels. Rebels. Verse 7, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Now we know about Sodom and Gomorrah and the people there, but a lot of times people focus on the homosexuality of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, I want to remind us the homosexuality of Sodom and Gomorrah was only a byproduct of their sin. Ezekiel 16 verse 49. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They didn't help the poor and needy. You could summarize it another way. They were consumed with self. Self. Verse 8, Jude, in the very same way, these dreamers, that's borrowed from the Old Testament where especially the false prophets would have dreams and visions, but they weren't from the Lord. But they purported uh, it to be truth. This is what the Lord said. This is truth. And it wasn't truth. And sometimes they gave people the wrong direction. They were always so positive, never very negative. They told people what they wanted to hear. But they weren't speaking for the Lord. And that's what he 
talking about here. These dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. What does all that mean? Well, I think I can communicate it in a way that's a little easier to understand, but we know what he's talking about here. He's talking about the character of these people that have infiltrated the church, and he uses now an example of Michael. Michael, Michael, an amazing angel. Amazing angel. He's mentioned three times in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 13, verse 21 of chapter 10, and then Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1. In uh, Daniel 10, 13, he's called one of the chief princes. And he there comes to get a messenger, a lower-ranking good angel through to give a message to Daniel in response to his prayers that he'd been praying for 21 days. Or he's been waiting 21 days after praying for an answer. And he goes and he has to withstand the prince of the Persian kingdom, a higher-ranking fallen angel than the one that Michael has to come now and get through for Daniel. Fascinating stuff. It's real stuff. In Daniel 12, one, he's said to be the great prince who protects your people, Daniel. That would be the Jewish people. So he has a special assignment for the Jewish people. Revelation 12, 7, he's mentioned in the New Testament, and it's fascinating, and I believe it's a future war, but there's a war, Revelation 12, 7, in heaven. Michael and his angels fight against the devil and his angels, and I know who won, tells us. What's the point here, though? Despite his great position, despite his great authority, despite his great responsibility, he is reverent. He does not take for granted his position. And in regard to spiritual things, he takes them very seriously. It's about time we get serious about this person called the devil. He's real. Peter says he roams about and he's looking for someone to devour. Let me remind us, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he's already got you. He's not looking to devour you. He's already got you. Whether you're an outright rebel or a religious person that doesn't know God, he's got you. The person, the people he's looking to devour are believers. And that's why he infiltrates the church. That's the message of Jude. Verse 11, woe to them, judgment. They've taken the way of Cain. What way is that? Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Here's the difference between Cain and his brother Abel. Both of them have clearly revealed truth from God. Both of them the same truth revealed. One received it. One walked in it. And the other didn't. 
That's the difference between Cain and Abel. They've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. One of my favorite stories to teach, you find it in Numbers chapter 22. You can't help but chuckle when you go through the story every time. I can't help but chuckle every time I teach it. Because Balaam has a conversation with his donkey. God opens the donkey's mouth. He speaks like a human being, and they have this conversation back and forth. Who was Balaam? Well, wilderness wandering, uh, children of Israel defeating mighty armies, powerful nations, because the Lord is fighting for them. The Moabites hear about uh, these Israelites and the God that they serve and how powerful he is, so they make a move, a strategic move. Balak, the king of Moab, sends some of his men to hire a man named Balaam. He's a sorcerer. And they want him to put a curse on Israel. They show up, they bring the fee for divination. But the God of Israel has revealed himself to Balaam, and he says, these men, do not go with them. And so Balaam, when they come, says, can't take the money, can't do the job, sorry. They go back to their king, Balak. They say, he said he can't come. What do you mean he can't come? He sends more distinguished princes and basically sends Balaam a blank check. They come and they say, the king says, you fill in the amount, whatever you want, just come do the job. Balaam says, we'll spend the night. I'll see what else the Lord might say. What do you mean what else the Lord might say? The Lord's already spoken very clearly. Do not go with them. And the next morning it says he saddled his donkey and he goes with them. And it says God was very angry when he went. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. And the beginning of his error was, go, error was going with people that God said, don't go with them. They've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, Numbers chapter 16, rebelled against Moses. They were insubmissive. They were independent. Oh, catch verse 12. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Catch this. They come to a communion service. That's what it is. They come to the communion service. But there's no conviction of sin. They, they can sit through it repeatedly. They can sit through the church services. You know, they're not moved by the Lord. Shepherds who feed only themselves. That's all they're thinking about. They're clouds without rain. They look good, but there's no substance. Blown along by the wind, autumn trees, without root, uprooted, twice dead. Couldn't help but go to Revelation, the end of Revelation, the great white throne judgment. And all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be judged and thrown into what's called the lake of fire. It's serious, lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars. Stars were depended on, especially in this day, for navigation. And you wanted a star that was fixed. A wandering star would take you the wrong direction. Wandering stars. 
for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they've done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's a mouthful there, man. These men are grumblers. That's amazing because that's one of the things that 1 Corinthians 10 tells us about those who did not believe. Uh, most of those that were delivered out of Egypt that God was not pleased with, they were grumblers. It means they just complained about life because they never learned to walk by faith. And fault finders, that's interesting because when you read the Gospels, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law and the Sadducees, that's what they were like. They were always trying to find a way to accuse Jesus and his disciples. They were fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves, flatter others for their own advantage. Now, if I had to summarize all I've just read, the character, the kind of people that infiltrated the church here, I would simply say this. They are religious people who if they do know God, they are not submitted to him. He's mainly talking about people who have no relationship with Christ, even though they may confess Christ. They have no real relationship with God, even though they may attend church services regularly. And he's warning us about those kind of people. He's warning us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and let me just say the verses I'm going to read. It's in the context of the communion table. Verse 18, in the first place I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. And this is the fascinating thing he says. Uh, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval in the church. There's some that are pleasing to the Lord. There's some that are walking in truth. And then there are those that are not. And the devil wants to use them to lead us astray. Hebrews says we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. I began playing in a band when I was 12 years old. I was the drummer. Our first gigs were birthday parties. There was a song that was very popular then that we learned and we played pretty much every place we played because people just wanted to hear it, and they wanted to hear it again and again and again. You might remember it. It goes something like this. there, huh? I loved it when people would stare at my drums as I'm playing Wipeout. I was meeting a lot of new friends. I was in a Christian school at the time. I was in sixth grade. Uh, and then seventh grade was the beginning of middle school where I grew up. I'd see these new friends downtown or at Roost Drive-In where I began to hang out. And they'd say, man, you're that drummer. I love hearing you play Wipeout. Hey, and sometimes they say, hey, could you do something for me now? And they're on a countertop or something. 
and I just tear that countertop up. <laughs> one of those birthday parties, an older friend of one of my new friends took us on a drive. We didn't have driver's licenses. We weren't old enough, but took us on a drive to a small service station. We pulled in. I thought we were there to get gas. But an attendant came up to the driver's side. Some words were exchanged. He went away. He came back. He quickly dropped in a bottle of liquid that I did not recognize. Cash was exchanged. Next thing I know, we're off. The bottle began to be passed around along with a chaser. I was very thankful for the chaser. Because for the first time in my young life, I was drinking 80 proof vodka. Nobody told me to take it slow, so before long I couldn't see straight. I woke up in the wee hours of the morning in my front yard, not knowing how I got there. I pulled myself up, stumbled to the front door, stumbled in, banged against the walls, woke up my mother, woke up my grandmother. I cried. I said, Mom, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Grandma, please forgive me. Drunks cry a lot better than sober people. Let me tell you that. <laughs> you think I'd wake up the next morning, run right back to my Christian friends, and then begin to hang out in that environment. That's not what happened. No, no. I, next day I saw some of my new friends, and they began to tell me how funny I was before I passed out. I was extremely shy. Extremely shy. But when I drink, I come out of my shell. The drinking led to smoking pot. That led to popping pills. That over time led to my first experience with what was called purple haze. My first trip on LSD. I literally thought I was in heaven. It was that good. I became a full-fledged drug addict. And for a period of time in my life, I lived a selfish, immoral, ungodly life. And the beginning of that path was hanging out with friends, new friends, that if they did know the Lord, they were not submitted to him. That's the warning of Jude. I got four questions and I'm done. They're long questions. <laughs> no. What kind of influence is your life having on others? You know, religious people, even people that claim to know Christ, sometimes even people that know Christ can lead others astray. Sobering words by Jesus. Here's what he said. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Those are serious words. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe, judgment to the man through whom they come. The seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches, we'll be studying them soon if Jesus tarries. To the church of Pergamum, Revelation 2.14, Jesus said, you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols, that's being where you shouldn't be with people you shouldn't be with, and committing sexual immorality. Numbers chapter 25, after God would not allow Balaam to put a curse on the Israelites, he figured out another way. And he told Balak, you take your best looking women and you put them out in front of the Israelite men and you have them invite them to their church service. 
and over 20,000 men came. And then once they got them in that religious environment, they seduced them. Religious people can seduce, can be used of the enemy. Here's my second question. What kind of influence are others having on you? Now, when I say you, I'm including me in all this. I'm singling me out. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Jesus said to his disciples about the religious hypocrites of the day, leave them. They are blind guides. Leave them. If some of us really receive the message that the Holy Spirit has through this little epistle of Jude, if you receive it today and do something about it, you're going to find some new friendships. You're going to find some new people to hang out with. Because those people you're hanging out with, they're not leading you closer to Christ. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. Here's my third question. Are you saved? I didn't ask you, to, do you believe in Jesus Christ? I didn't ask you to believe in God. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? If you've really received the gospel... If you've really received Christ, even if you did it when you were four years old, your life is different than someone who has not received Christ. And you want to be submitted to Christ. You're not perfect. You stumble, just like I do. But when we stumble, we're convicted. For someone who doesn't have Christ, there's no conviction. That's these people Jude's talking about. They can sit in a church service, they're not moved. Are you saved? Do you have that witness of the Holy Spirit? If not, I beg of you, settle the issue today, right now. Settle it. And I beg you not to put it off. Came downstairs this morning, first one up in my house. Didn't see our dog. And as I began to hunt for him, I go to the downstairs bathroom and there he is laying there. I'm thinking, sound asleep. And then I realized. And I reached down and I felt him. And he's dead. I never thought I'd get so emotional about a dog. But I loved him. I expected to come down this morning just like any other morning and him wag his tail and come running and want to lick me. He's dead. My son Hayden and I buried him in the backyard. And I could hear the church five minutes till nine, just after burying our dog. Why do I tell you that story? I didn't want to tell you that story. I don't want to cry again. I cried like a baby digging the grave. If I ever lose a kid, just dig my grave. Some of you that have lost children, I, I can't even imagine. But for the grace of God, how you're making it. And thank God you are. I didn't expect my dog to be dead this morning. You may be dead before the day's out. How do you know? I beg you, I beg you, settle the issue of your soul today, right now. Right now. And then one more question. Are you saved? You don't have a doubt about your salvation, but you've drifted away. Come back home today. Come back home now. Come back to your Heavenly Father. Come back to Christ and come back to a 
right relationship. And whatever sin it is in your life, repent of it. Get it out of your life. Let Him purify you in a fresh way today. You've been listening to The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Sometimes life circumstances can hit hard, and they can leave us wondering where God is. Not only that, they can leave us wondering if He's even real at all. But rest assured, the Lord never leaves or forsakes. And most importantly, He is the truth. Are you wrestling with your faith today? There's strength in lifting one another up in prayer, and we'd be honored to do that for you. Send us an email at info at ccf. S-T-P-E-T-E dot church. That's info at C-C-F S-T-P-E-T-E dot church. Would you also pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and our ideas second. His guidance is what we need. Would you pray that we'd recognize His voice always? Thanks for praying. If you don't already have a church home and you live in or near St. Petersburg, we'd love to be that for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship invite you to join us for our weekend services. Check out ccfstpete.church for the latest service times or to find out how you can join us online if you're not in the area. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Jude right here on The Living Word.